What's up, Coastline? How are we doing today? Good? All right. No pressure from Pastor Aaron there. I've always looked up to him. He's amazing. Uh, uh, after this, we're going to have a... Uh, how many of you guys want to go to Pastor Aaron's old church with his old pastor? That sounds like a great pastor. And I was like, he gave up on me. I was like, wow, praise the Lord. It's probably called the Grace Place, you know? Probably the name of the church, Grace Place. I, um, I'm excited about being here. I uh, love Pastor Aaron, love Amanda, the staff. Just um, great church. Just love what God's doing here. It's so unique. I, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time in a little intro just because I, I'm going to age myself here. But, I, you know, the old uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Remember that my old movie? You know, we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. You know what I mean? So I'm just going to just dive right in. Uh, we're in a, t- a, se- a, a series called You Asked For It. And one of the topics that came up was this topic. And it's the topic of how do I forgive someone that hurt me? Yeah. That's what I usually do. <gasps> you feel the air just leave the room. It's like, oh, he's going to go there this morning. No. Like, I was thought this was going to be a great morning. You know, can we go back to worship? You know, I don't want to do this. I get it. Uh, this is a topic that's, um, it's very difficult for, for, for all of us. And Jesus makes this, Jesus spoke so often in parables, in stories. And because how many people know stories are powerful, right? Stories change us. We're changed by people's narratives, by their stories. And Jesus understood this, and he, and he shared so many stories. But one of the things, every so often you see Jesus kind of come out of that story mode, and he just comes and just tells you straight up. One of the things is, uh, as a dream center, one of the things I always hang on to is, is Christ talking about, the, you know, because sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the poverty and things that's going on in the world, and Jesus makes a statement, the poor you'll have with you always, right? This thought of there's always going to be brokenness and sin. And you look at this week. This week is a, is a perfect example of that, right? And Jesus makes a statement that if I'm being honest with you, I don't really, it's one of those scriptures I'm like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what I mean? It's like, I believe, but I, I want to love this scripture, but I, it's hard for me. And I'll, sh- I'll show you what it is. It's in Luke. In Luke 1, uh, 17, 1, it says, then he, this is Jesus talking, then Jesus said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to the, to the one through whom they come. And a lot of times we read this and we think, we, we focus on the through whom it comes, like, hey, don't be a stumbling block for somebody else, Right? Don't be, don't be that way. But we miss that Christ says, hey, buckle up. Because life's going to be a journey of forgiveness. Do you know there's not a relationship in your life that at some time it's not going to require the, the virtue of forgiveness? Because, guys, it's a virtue. It's not a single act. It's a virtue that we develop as Christians. It's something that's very, very powerful, very, very important for us. Because if, we're not, if, we, if we don't realize uh, its importance... Uh, we'll make, a, a, we'll make a, a forgiving moment in one part of our life, and then it'll hold us back and hinder us in another part of our life. And so Christ really just lays it out and says, hey, look, this is something you're going to need to develop. You're going to need to develop a forgiving heart. You're gonna be a per- you need to be a person that's quick to forgive and um, quick to say, you're, you're, forgive me when you, when you make mistakes. And so today's message, I'm going to make it very simple. Uh, I'm from Alabama. Uh, I, I know I pastor a church in New York City, which I don't ask. You have to ask God why that happened, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I grew up in Alabama. Uh, I think we're 48th out of the 50 states in education, so you kind of know already what you're getting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you've been there. All right. Yeah. But we like to have a good time, though, at least. You know what I mean? We like to have a good time, at least. So hopefully it'll be a good, it'll be a good time for you. But one of the things that's very interesting 
when it comes to forgiveness is we all have a different framework. So today I'm going to flow the message for those that are kind of tracking and want to know when I'm landing this plane. Uh, the flow of the service, I'm going to kind of share about what is forgiveness. I'm not insulting your intelligence, but what I know in a, in, a, in a congregation this size, we all have different backgrounds and frameworks about how we view that. So we want to, get a, we want to kind of lock that down, kind of define that. Then we want to shift. I'm going to shift. I'm going to talk about uh, why. Why do we forgive? And we're going to get a little deeper than because God said so, okay? We're going to talk about why is it important for me to let this go and to give, forgive. And then we're going to shift at the end. I'm going to talk about how. how do, and I think that's what we all want. Like, like what he said in the question, how do, I, how do I forgive someone that's hurt me? How do I do that? So hopefully this will be um, important for you. So um, I want to make a statement before I dive into what is forgiveness. Uh, for those, maybe you're here and you're seeking God and you're actually wondering. Um, we re- recognize that you're here. This is a church that's, that's outward-facing. We care about, uh, talking to Pastor Aaron, he cares about the lost. He cares about people that, um, that are in his community, every single person in his community. So if you're here today and you've not made a decision to follow Christ, and maybe you're just kicking the tires a little bit about like, hey, is this thing for me? What is this whole thing about? I, I really think that this message um, will just universally be um, important for every single one of us. Because no matter where, where you are on the belief spectrum, every single one of us have to learn how to forgive. It's very, very important. So um, there's a term in psychology. Now, it's funny, last night there was a psychologist in the room when I actually did this, and I actually said, if, you, if you're here, please forgive me if you're a psychologist, because like I said before, I am from Alabama. This is going to be baseline definitions here. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a term in psychology, and it's called cognitive dissonance. And the reason I know this is because I, had to go, I was going through counseling uh, for a while. Um, pastors are always need to be counseled because <laughs> we're very broken people. And, um, <laughs> and I remember um, this, this resonating in my life because cognitive dissonance is this, in its essence, is this, there's things that you believe and you hold to be true and you believe them, but yet your actions and your life experiences are incongruent with those beliefs. And so because there's this dissonance there, you, you're, you're, you're built psychologically to live in harmony. Homostasis, right? You've got you to gotta find harmony. Right? You can't live with that dissonance very long. So what happens is, is your brain makes some connections that aren't even there so that you can actually get that resolve. The word dissonance is what we see when somebody hits a keyboard, right? It's a dissonant chord. It's like, ding, and you're like, oh, my gosh, somebody hit the wrong note. But we're looking for a resolve, right? We're looking for that, oh, that chord to resolve in our life. And so what do- happens is our mind makes that resolution for us. And I think a lot of us in there think that we forgive and we think that we know what forgiveness is, but yet our beliefs about forgiveness actually don't let us experience the joy of forgiveness because there's actually a dissonance there that we haven't resolved. Let me, let me give you some, some practical examples. Maybe you've heard this. Brad, you know what you need to do? You know what? You just need to forgive and forget. You need to forgive and forget. You need to forgive and forget, which, which is actually the most satanic thing I think I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and uh, those of you who have experienced any level of abuse know that that's true. Um, I'm going to just drop this bomb on you, and then I'm going to move on. So you'll be like, well, I think so. Um, when I was five years old, I was sexually abused when I was five years old. And so for somebody to come in and say, hey, Brad, you know what? You just need to forget that, you know? Just forget that and just move on. Praise the Lord. Just forget that. Just wash that over and just. Listen, you're hardwired by God to remember, not to forget. Love doesn't forget. I want you to understand this. Love didn't forget your sin. Love saw it and paid the price on the cross anyway. Love is not blind. Love sees everything and yet still does. So forgiveness is not forgetting. 
So that's a dissonance thing. We think we're going to forget. You know, your brain is like, uh, forget who, you're, who one of your children are. Okay. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh. So unless God just gives you some magical amnesia, which, hey, God can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So that's uh, absolutely right. But he actually built you to remember. So the, art of free, the, the, the virtue of forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetfulness. It has everything to do with the posture of our heart. Here's another one that you might have heard, and this is one of the biggest ones I'm sitting down doing counseling, which I'm not a very good counselor, but let's just say I have to do it from time to time, and I'm sitting at coffee. Uh, the reason why, I'm, 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 my primary gifting is teaching. Uh, we can argue about that later, but my, my primary gifting is teaching, and um, teachers make horrible counselors most of the time because they overtalk, right? They want to solve your problems and talk to you about all the things they learned, you know? And, um, but sometimes I'm sitting with somebody, I'm listening to their story, and I'm hearing them talk, and one of the things that comes up every time, and it's this dissonance, is the thought that if I forgive them, I'm actually, um, I'm actually consenting to what they did. And to forgive this person is to say what they did to me was okay, and I could never do that. And I want, I want you to hear this this morning. I want this, let this, let this free you in Jesus' name. What they did to you was not right. And in no way is God saying that what they did was right. The essence of forgiveness, and I want you to know this, is actually a mathematical accounting term in the Greek. And what it means is this, cancel the debt. It doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean you have to sign off on it. It doesn't mean you have to be best buddies. Let me say this to you too. Um, There's a big chasm between forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, God cares about reconciliation, but it's a whole other message for a whole other time. But God's command to us is for forgiveness. He wants us to reconcile. He commands us to forgive. So incredibly powerful for you to understand that. So why, right? There's a parable in Mark. Um, it's this really cool story. If you would imagine with me right now, if this roof opened up now, most of you that are part of the church, that would just scare you to death because you'd think about the budget it'd have to take to, to fix it. But <laughs> let's just say the roof came off this place. Pastor Aaron would be quivering right now. Um, and someone lowered a paralytic in front of me right now. And they were right here in the front. And then in this moment, you have all these people listening to Christ. And Christ is, this is what happens in, the, in this moment in Mark chapter 2. And Christ is preaching. He's t- t- sharing about the kingdom of God and how it's not far away. It's actually right here among you. It's right here. He's showing a look, I am the Messiah. This is what we've been waiting for. And he's trying to talk to these people about the kingdom. And then the next thing you know, right in the middle of his sermon, boom, this happens. And then everyone looks and sees what is Christ going to do in this moment. And I want you to read what he says. He says this in, in Mark 2. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the people that came in, he said to the paralytic, son, be healed. He actually says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm, I, I have a pastor church in New York City, and if we're nothing, we're cynical. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's it. Like, we, we don't trust anybody. Everybody's got an angle. Literally, it's like, okay, what are you up to, pastor? I get it, you know. I've literally, like the way I approach things, I'm trying to be very candid because literally it's like everything is like, if you try to put any fluff or anything or you try to like, you know, hey, everybody, we're doing a show. You do all that, people are like. <laughs> I, I was 10 years in LA, you know, and it was like tap dancing, you know. I moved to New York City, it was like, I'm just gonna tell you like it is. I mean, it was literally like, that is, that is New York to the T. And I could see New Yorkers looking at Jesus and he's like, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, um, uh, Jesus, I, uh, I, 
I don't mean to overstep, but I'm going to. Uh, I think he's got some more immediate needs here. Listen, we all enjoy a spiritual experience. You know what I mean? That's great. Oh, that feels great. I'd love to have a spiritual experience. But I think right now, uh, some healing would be great right now in this guy's life. And I think what Christ really does in this moment is he let, helps us understand this, that actually the most immediate need in your life is forgiveness. For some of you here today that are actually exploring Christianity, you're wondering about stepping across that line, we say that salvation is really the art of surrender. It's just surrendering our lives and saying, I need a Savior. It's really what it is. There's no hoops to jump through. It's literally just saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I, I can't save myself. I need a Savior. And in that moment... That's the, that's the most immediate need that you have because reconciling your relationship with God is the most immediate. You might not think so, but it's the most immediate need. According to the Christian f- belief, it's the most immediate need that you have. And I also say to you that it's actually the most immediate need you have to forgive other people. Now, right now I can feel the pushback. The pushback is this. How can you say that, Pastor? You don't know what I've went through. I've been abused. I've been so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. I've told you about a little bit about my life. I'll share a little bit at the end. Listen, we all have stories, right? And, and I'll say this. Your pain is not to be compared with other people's pain because your pain is still your pain, okay? There's no reason to say, well, yeah, but my life is... Listen, everybody, this is what you have to learn about life, in people. Everybody's pain is relevant, rel, uh, relative to them. It doesn't matter if somebody else has more pain. Pain is still pain, right? And we have to understand that forgiveness is so incredibly important for us to move on. And this is why, because a lot of people miss this and they think, well, you know, well... Why is that my immediate need? And I want you to hear this and hope this lands on everyone, no matter where your beliefs are in this place. The greatest victory that, you're, that the people that hurt you have is if they can get you to not forgive them. It's actually worse than the abuse that they, they committed to you. If they can hold you hostage in a state of, uh, with a lack of forgiveness... They've actually done something worse to you than the abuse. And I know some of you would disagree with me, but listen, forgiveness is actually the process by which we filter through life. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard this statement, bitterness is the poison you drink expecting the other person to die? You ever heard that bitterness is the poison you drink? Oh, like, mm, that's so good. You're like, waiting for the other person to die. You're actually killing yourself. And this is why, and this is why I want to really unpack the why here. Forgiveness is the process by which we keep the normal parts of life from spoiling us. Let me give you an example, because I know I just feel like, it was like, I'm not getting that one. Remember I said bitterness is the poison you drink? Did you know that bitterness is just offense that's spoiled? Christ said offenses are going to come in your life. But if you let a fence sit in the refrigerator too long and you haven't processed it through the art of forgiveness, it will spoil, it will sour, and it will become a root of bitterness in your life. And that root of bitterness will frame, and it will actually, and I'll show you in a second how, how anger does this, it will actually distort the way you view life now. And it will create a worldview and a lens through which you will actually look through the lens of bitterness and how you have think. Have you ever met somebody just so cynical about everything? Everything's got a problem. Everything's wrong. Everything. A lot of times there's a lens there of bitterness that affects the way they see life. 
Let me give you another one that's very practical. Say you're a parent in this place and you've spent a lot of time concerned. And people think concern for your kids is a good thing, right? You need to be concerned about your kids. This week we should be concerned about, right, what's going on in our world, what's going on in our government, what's going on in things. A lot of you are concerned about that thing, those things, right? Like they're, they're weighing on you heavy. Like we're all over the spectrum here in all kinds of spots, right? Another thing that we're probably worried about is, is what's going on in Vegas, right? What's going on in our, in our, in our world, and we're thinking, oh, and we, there's concern. But did you know that worry is just concern that's soured? Christ says that worry is a sin. See, the art of forgiveness is really this thought of counseling the debt that someone owes me. I have a, I have a laundry list of things, and we don't realize it, but sometimes if you even have an over-concern for someone and you start worrying about someone, you actually need to forgive that person in your heart because you actually started resenting them for all the worry that they caused you. It's a real thing. A family member, a stranger, and you're like, man, if that, if Uncle Joe comes to Christmas one more time, you know, doing what he does, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip, right? Why? Because we have worried about it, we've stressed about it so much, and now there's actually a record of wrong that's there, that the slate needs to be clean. The other one that we that we experience is um, anger. Now I know you know you get angry, but I've had to deal with anger in my life. And you know there's a problem when your kids spill the milk and you're like, what are you doing? And you're like, whoa, it's just milk, Brad. Calm down. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, the kid just spilled milk. But you know what happens? Anger, when it spoils, it turns into wrath. Now, this word wrath is really interesting. It actually shares a root word with another word called wreath. Now, sorry about my accent. It's hard to understand what I'm saying. But you know like a holiday wreath? You know, that's my accent. You're like, what do you say? A wreath. Uh, that you put on your door. And so I grew up in the South, and my, I used to, my mom would send me out to the woods, which is basically like a forest area. We called them woods. It's like, go out in the woods and, and get me some sticks and come back in, and we're going to make these things for the holidays. So my, my, my mother was one of those Southern women with a glue gun. You know, she'd just make magic happen with a glue gun, you know, <laughs> poinsettias everywhere and everything, you know, what is it, baby's breath or something like that. You know, she'd do all this craziness, you know. And so I would actually make these wreaths. I'd start with weeping willow branches because they were very flexible, and I would begin to wrap these things around. And the reason why anger and, and a wrath and wreath share the same root word is not because they're spelled the same. They share the same root word because what it is, what wrath is, is actually when anger begins to twist around you and distort you. It's doing the very same thing in our heart and our life, and forgiveness needs to take place in that, in that situation. Now, let's switch to the how do we do it. I'm going to start with a hard statement, and then I'm going to kind of ease, I'm going to ease, I'm going to ease into the gospel. The truth of the matter is, there's no way you're going to forgive someone if you feel that you're superior to them. You, I know some of you are like, uh, listen, there's no way, if you feel like you're the good person and they're the bad person, you'll never forgive them. If you're on the good team and they're on the losing team, if you're holy, they're unholy. If you're righteous in your own eyes and they're not, you'll never find it in yourself to forgive. I'm just telling you right now. So what's the answer? The answer is the gospel. You're like, I came here for that. Like, You know, so often, it's funny, in our Christian circles, so often, if we're not careful, we look more like the Tower of Babel than we do uh, the Garden of Eden. 
And what we do is we want to build our life on these great principles so that we have a tower of our righteousness to the sky. And we say, look, I, I handled my money right. I went through Dave Ramsey's thing, and then, then I went to the free, and then I went to this thing, and then this thing. Look, I am a superhero. And we get in God and we think, man, pretty soon I'm not even going to sin anymore. Have you ever thought that? Like, pretty soon I'm going to be the greatest leader. I'm not even going to sin anymore. Somebody, maybe you must be really good Christian. I thought that. I was like, dude, if I just keep going to these conferences and stuff, pretty soon I'm not even going to sin anymore. I'm going to be like, literally like a virtual superhero, man. And it's like, literally, that's the most demonic thing you could possibly think. Because what that is, it makes you the superhero when there's only one superhero and his name is Jesus. The gospel is not, it's not good advice. It's good news. It's good news to accept, to receive. It's not good advice about how to live your life. It's not good instructions. No, it's a, it's a proclamation of what God has done for you. It's not based on our works. It's actually, it's actually based on grace. And here's the thing. The gospel is this beautiful art because what it does is it actually has a way of humbling us and this is the two things I want to talk about. It's the humility and the affirmation of the gospel. The gospel actually humbles us into the dust, realizing that I could not save myself. I have to have Jesus. Like when Christ died on the cross, he didn't die for, for the world. He actually died for me. But at the same time, the gospel takes me up to the heights of the heaven and affirms me in such a way when I start to understand and realize what I have available to me now in Christ. And that I'm no longer a slave, but I'm actually a son and daughter of God. And when you can affirm, that gives you the strength. So the humility of the gospel gives us, it gives us the perspective. So we're going to talk first about the humility of the gospel. The humility of the gospel that comes from the gospel, it actually gives us the proper perspective so that we actually are opened up to the reality that I, I actually need to forgive. Okay? I actually need to forgive. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Weight of Glory. And in that, he, he, he talks about how that there's a, this dual problem that we have as Christians. And it's this thought of, he says, um, it's this essence of forgive me or excuse me. And he says a lot of Christians live their life based upon a self-righteous position that God, that they had really good excuses for why they did what they did. And what God actually did on the cross was excuse them, not forgive them. So in other words, like, let me say it this way. It's, it's kind of comical, but like, I, I, I was like, it's, it's like thinking I was the number five pick in the Christian draft. You know what I mean? I was number five overall. It was a great day. Oh my gosh. I got a signing bonus. It was so good. Like, like Jesus looked at me and was like, dude, I got to have you on my team. I'm taking you number five overall. This is awesome. I was like, dude, team Jesus. I was like, I was almost there anyway. And Jesus kind of like, boop, just pushed me right over the edge. You know, with that dying on the cross thing, just kind of gave me the tip I needed, you know, to get on the right track. But that guy over there, boy, it's going to take an extra measure of grace to help that person. And we don't realize it, but we actually build a framework. And if we're not careful, we become the very Pharisees that looked at the paralytic and wondered, who is this man to forgive sins? And the thing that we hated, we become. We have to revisit the gospel. I was in a pastor's meeting with a bunch of pastors, which is... Always a, oh, always a mixed bag. You never know. And, um, and here I am. I'm in this. Uh, I shared this with a small group the other day. I was at Aaron's small group, which is a great small group. And I, and I was um, in this group, 
I was in this group of pastors, and they started reciting the gospel again. I was in this incubator, and one of our steps was to go back through the gospel. And I'm like, the gospel. Like, I want the deeper things of God. Guys, by the time I was done, I was bawling my eyes out. Because it reconnected me with the joy of my salvation. With the fact that I could not save myself. I needed a Savior. I needed someone. I needed Christ, the incarnate Christ, to come and intersect my world. I needed him in my marriage. I needed him in parenting. Those that are parents know, like, man, I need him. I got four kids. I'm going to jack these kids up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need God. I need his grace. You know, those are the parents. That's why you're laughing. You know, like, yeah, amen on that one, you know? Like, when you first start, like, when the the 25-year-olds that don't have any kids, they're like, you know, well, I'll never, you know? But once you get kids, like, you're literally like, okay, I'll take any advice you can get. Because you realize real quick, I'm in over my head. I'm in over my head right now. I want to read you this little passage in um, The Weight of Glory. I love the way he says it. He says, to excuse what really can produce good excuses. So people who can produce really good excuses. It's not Christian character. It's not, it's not that virtue we're talking about. It's only fairness. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. And watch what he says here. It's beautiful. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Isn't that beautiful? What a great perspective. To humble ourselves, realizing that it's my, Paul says it this way in Romans, I present myself a living sacrifice. He goes, which is my reasonable service. In lieu of what he's done, how could I not? How could I not do that? In lieu of what he did for me on the cross, how could I not? But if we're not careful, time and services and everything getting in between that, and we get down the road, and if we're not careful, we become what I call grace graduates. Right? Man, I remember when God saved me too, I needed that. But now, I've been taking my vitamins. I've been reading really good. and I'm praying a lot. Man, I'm a warrior now. Last time I checked, there's only one warrior. There's the great warrior that went before us. His name is Jesus. He says, how do we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand. By meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. We are, offering, we are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. Wow. Somehow our vertical forgiveness, that flow of God. If you have a chance, if you haven't been through freedom, the freedom course, please get involved in that. It's an unbelievable time. One of the, one of the sessions in that is this, this beautiful topic where it talks about the heart blockages and the things that get in our way. And you know, that, that flow of life, it comes from having a forgiving, forgi- uh, 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 this, this flow of forgiveness in our life. And it's so incredibly valuable. There's this last passage I want to, before I change the affirmation, and it's this picture where a, a prostitute comes into Jesus. It's in Luke 7. It's one of my favorite passages, my top three passages in the entire scripture. And this woman's crying, and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, and, and the, 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 the religious leaders are so indignant. They're like, if you knew who this was, you would kick her out of here. I can't believe that you're letting this happen. Oh, this is a, this is a disgrace. And Jesus makes this most profound statement in Luke 7, 47. He says, therefore, I say to you, her sins. And look what he did. He acknowledges them. He says, which are many. He says, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, when I first got saved, I got so mad because I was so passionate about God that I got saved, and I read the scripture, and I thought, 
man, I thought, man, the guy on death row, I hope he never gets saved because if he gets saved, he's going to love God more than me. I know that's sick. You're like, man, this guy's sick. <laughs> but I was so passionate about God, I just didn't want somebody else to say they love God more than me. And I was like, man, that means if they got a, they got a, they got a worse testimony than me, then that means they're going to love me, according to that scripture. And ever so gentle, the Holy Spirit just kind of pressed in my heart. I was like, son, it's not the accumulation of the sin. It's your perspective on your sin. Yeah. Do you want to love God a lot? Do you want to have a heart that flows with a perspective of forgiving? Then get a new perspective on what Christ did for you on the cross. Realize where he brought you from. Don't you remember what it was like B.C. before Christ? And what it felt like, the joy that came in our heart when he, when he said yes, when we said yes to him, and he always says yes to us. It's a beautiful moment. Here's the next one. It's the affirmation that comes from the gospel. Did you know the longest passage in the entire Bible, the longest passage, is found in Ephesians chapter 1? Actually, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to notice a lot of punctuation. And the reason we did it, I, I guarantee you, it's just because in English we just got a little awkward and we felt like it needed some punctuation in there. But in the Greek, when you read it out in the Greek, there's actually no punctuation. It's one long, continuous sentence. There's a couple of punctuations, but there's no period. It's just one long sentence, this huge doxology. And what it is, the longest sentence in the Bible, you know what it's about? It's about what you have because of Christ. In a world that thinks God's mad at me, God doesn't love me, he's, so, he, he's such a mean, the longest scripture he took, the longest, the longest scripture in the entire Bible it's all about how God loves you and has blessed you and seated you on high places. And here's the thing. If you don't have the affirmation of, the, of being a son or a daughter, you won't forgive because you'll be too needy. You won't be able to do it. You won't have the strength to do it. Because you'll have to keep everything close to the vest. Every account, every chart of God, you've got to keep it so close to the vest because you don't know who, whose you are. But when you know, who you, you know who has you, when you feel and know the love of the Father, when you know that, like the, like the, older, the eldest brother, son, that came to the Lord, oh, you've never done this for me, you've never done that. And he's like, oh, you don't have the affirmation of the gospel, son. He looked at the eldest brother and the prodigal son and said, son, don't you know? All I have is yours. You're talking about a calf and, son, everything on this farm is yours. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we're sitting and keeping everything close to the vest because we haven't gotten in touch with the fact that son and daughter, don't you know? Everything God has is yours. And when you can come in contact with that, you can have the strength to let it go. Right? I think there's a song about that. Let it go. <laughs> I got four kids, you know. <laughs> let me leave you with this and I'm going to tell my story a little bit. An unforgiving heart, this is what I've learned. It's really just an unforgiving heart. Someone who's unwilling to forgive, really, it's just they haven't recognized how much they've been forgiven. Because when you come in contact with that, you have to forgive. I'm going to quickly just wrap this up with, my, with a little bit of my story. In my situation, when it, when it, in regard to forgiveness, it really dealt with the fact that I couldn't forgive myself. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I told you about, you know, some things that happened in my past and it affected the way I kind of viewed life and I had to 
realized that. And when I graduated from high school, I went to college, and I got in a really bad relationship. I grew up in a church where literally it was so legal. It, it was all about what I did, what I didn't do. And, it, and I, didn't, I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know what Christ had done for me. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a heart change. It was outward motivation. It was like, let's, let's constrict you, and let's do behavior modification church. You know what I mean? Like, I don't do, and I don't listen, and I don't go, and I don't say, and I don't... Like, man, you sound like a great Christian. That was my church. It was like, you know, what do you do? I, I, don't, I don't know, but I know I don't do a lot of stuff. <laughs> and that was my life. So I get out of... I get, I'm going to college, and I get in this horrible relationship, and it's very toxic. Long story short... We break, we break up and literally change the locks in my house. Long story. It's just crazy. I look back on it. I can't even remember who that person was. It's so crazy. And I just remember her coming, to, calling me and needing to meet with me. She's, she's, she was pregnant. Some of you, it's like, oh, it happens, you know. That's what happens when two people get together. For me, raising a Christian home, it was literally like a death sentence. I felt, I don't know, maybe you can resonate with this, that you had dreams and aspirations about your life. And all in a moment, there was a lid that got placed on your life and said, this far and no more. You'll be marked now for the rest of your life. This is it. So fast forward, I go, we go through all the doctor's appointments together, and we make a decision. Uh, that was after her dad came. Her dad was ex-Green Beret, came to the house, put a shotgun in my face. That was a, that was a fun, that was good times. <laughs> good times. Think fondly about that day. It was great. Literally put a shotgun in my face. I was like, after I clean my pants, I'm going to think about this. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you don't, I, I never want to see you again. Don't hang your mama without all this stuff. And, Needs to say, she has the baby. I come to the hospital. She asked me to wait when her parents weren't there so that we wouldn't, there wouldn't be any altercation or anything. I go up, go in the hospital, look through the window, and I remember seeing the babies there, and I remember the woman looked at me, and she walked up to the window. She looked at me strange, and she closed the blinds. I thought, this is strange. And um, I go and ask her, hey, can you tell so-and-so I'm here? Her dad comes rushing out of the room, physically assaults me in the hospital. Security escorts me out the building. The next day, my parents come up because my friends called them. And uh, I was just so broken. I was just, I couldn't believe. I, I go back to the hospital. Her, her dad's down there. They have security. They talk to my parents. There was some privacy act that was going on in Tennessee. She did put my name on the birth certificate. Two months later, she got married to some guy. And to this day, I've never said any, one word to her, to the baby. Now she's 17 years old. This summer was going to be a great summer. I, uh, her youth pastor called to a friend and said, hey, we want to come serve at the Dream Center. She ended up coming on a mission trip, but she didn't serve because her mom found out that it was our church, and so she didn't serve. They didn't serve with us. But I thought this summer, my kids are ready. I've told my kids. A little side note, you know what my son said when I told him the story? You talk about humility is when you have to tell your kids that you're the kids that look at you and they look at you, they think you're perfect. And you have to say, you know what? Your daddy wasn't always like this. But then Jesus stepped into your daddy's life. It's a powerful moment. My son, in his wisdom, he said this. He said, Dad, I don't, I don't like that. And I said, what? He goes, 
I don't like the thought of you with any other woman but, but mommy. Uh, uh, I was like, I'm going to go outside for a while. <laughs> when that happened to me long ago, I was so depressed. I couldn't sleep. I had to move back home a couple months later because it just was, it was so hard. And there was rumors going around the college that I was some kind of deadbeat dad that I didn't want to have anything to do with the kid. It was literally, it was horrible. And I remember going back home and I just couldn't sleep. And I came to church and I was sitting in the kind of a section off to the left of the pastor. And this pastor was, I, don't, I can't even tell you what the pastor preached on, but all I know is that at the end of that message, it was like I couldn't wait for that guy to shut up. You know what I mean? I was just like, just shut up. Because I, I felt this compelling that I have to go down to that altar tonight. And I got up, and I walked down this. It was one of those, you know, old things. And I came down the front. And when I did, I, and I, you can believe what you want, but this is my story, so I'm sticking to it. And literally, I almost felt like something was compelling me, like pushing me down the dog. It felt that, that compelling that I needed to come down. I came down, I just broke, and I started crying. And what I heard wasn't how bad you are. Can't believe you did that. You disappointed me. I heard that. I just felt like I heard the Lord say, son, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for your life. It's not over, it's just beginning. I'm gonna start a new Genesis in your life tonight. And it felt like the prodigal son where he put the robe over his back and the ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet. And that's when the gospel inter intersected my world. And I'm gonna tell you, on that day when I left, I, f I would forgive anybody for anything. Because it wasn't me being good and them being bad. It was me needing a Savior and God willing to cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. I want to end with a statement right here. I want you to remember that you'll never have to forgive anyone more than God's already forgiven you. If we could all just close our eyes all across this room, I want to pray for you today. If you're here today and you just need to cancel the debt, but maybe you're here and, you're, and if you're honest, you're, you're, like, you're like me. You're just, maybe, you, maybe you don't feel like you have the strength or the perspective to forgive. Here's the thing. You don't have to fake it this morning. All God asks is for your, for your honesty. He says, in my holy hill, you know what I desire? I desire integrity of the heart. If you, the integrity doesn't mean faultless. It means falseless. It's an honesty, the brutal honesty this morning. Say, God, give me the strength and the perspective to forgive. If you're here today and that's you, I'm not going to call you out or anything. I just want to know who I'm praying for. I just want a point of contact with, with faith. If you're here today and say, Brad, remember me in your prayer because I, I need the perspective and I need the strength to forgive. Can, can I see your hand this morning? Just thank you. You can put it right down. Hands are going up. You can just put it right down when you're done. I just want to make a contact and you can put it right back down just yes thank you so much and I would be remiss if I didn't give an opportunity for you today to receive the gospel if you're here today remember what I said the gospel is not good instructions about all the things you have to do before God accepts you God meets us where he is Romans 5 8 says but God demonstrates his own love toward you in that while and I always personalize this in that while Brad was yet a sinner on my worst day I always think on my worst day that's when God was on the cross looking at that day God wasn't on the cross thinking, oh man, you know what Brad's going to do? He's going to go to Coastline. He's going to preach a message. No, no, no. It was on that day where I was in my, my, my buddy's live, um, a bedroom and I was on the floor broken because I'd made a, the most horrible decision of my life. 
And God stepped in that day and said, that's, that's it. That's, that's why I'm hanging on the cross right now. And he has that kind of love for you. If you're here today and you say, I, I need that kind of love in my life. I can surrender to a God like that. If you're here today, could I just see your hand? Say, I could surrender to a God like that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you, first of all, that we don't have as Christians to put on some kind of false mask. We don't have to act like we're doing something, but we just make a confession today that, Lord, we want to forgive. Lord, help us to be a forgiving people. Lord, connect us, reconnect us with the humility of the gospel, what it means to be forgiven. And God, Lord, let us feel the affirmation. Let everyone here today feel the affirmation that comes from you. And Lord, for all those that are making a decision to follow you, I pray in their own way, they would just simply say to you, Father, forgive me. I surrender my life to you. Teach me your ways. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, with your strength, I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said.